to be back with you with another episode of The Point of You. And it's been a while. Well, it's not having been a while, but I'm excited because today we're having a special guest with us, but um, it's Obel, as you guys already know. And GV is not with me right now because he punked out and he's behind the cameras, but that's all right. We're going to make it work. And this episode is going to be a little bit emotional, but also very educa- um, educating. And we want that you know that the, our platform is not just to talk about things, but how can we move forward and how can we process what's going on in our lives and make changes that will help better our lives. And before we start, as you guys know, I always like to um, have a quote of the week, but before we get to it, we understand that right now we are in difficult times. Not only we have Corona as the pandemic, but we have a racial pandemic going on as well. And Um, As for you guys have seen the news, you've seen everything that's going on. If you're keeping up as for me, I try to avoid it. But because I'm doing this podcast, I had to kind of go back and and kind of inform myself and kind of indulge in what was going on. That way I can be more aware. But you guys can see that there has been a, a death the death of Floyd, which was by a police officer and due to racism. And we want to address that today. And right outside of us is. People are protesting, which is very interesting mm-hmm. that we're doing. We're going to have this talk. But today we have a former police officer of 25 years. His name is Antonio Champion. And he's going to give us a little bit more about um, why he became a police officer and about what's going on and where it all started. And I'm excited to introduce him. But before I allow him to speak, I know I tend to talk a lot. <laughs> um, I have a quote of the week and it is a riot is the language of the unheard quote by Martin Luther King, which is very interesting because he doesn't condone any violence, but he himself said it. Now let us introduce Antonio. Thank you so much for being here with us. And I am so grateful that you've allowed yourself to be here. So that way you can give us a little bit about you to give us a little bit more information about this subject when it comes to racism and um, systemic racism specifically. But before we start, can you tell us a little bit more about what you think about the quote? Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the quote it was one I was going to bring, so I'm glad to see that you brought it. Wow. Because I didn't. <laughs> Great much think alike. So it, it is, um, I, well, I agree with it 100%. And although there are people who would like to see us, and I say yes, I mean I identify with the protesters. Mm-hmm. There are many people who would like to see us do it quietly. Mm. But I would say for 400 years, perhaps, we've done it too quietly. Wow. And sometimes the only way that people will hear you mm-hmm. is when you get their attention. And sometimes the only way to get their attention is by taking something from them or by taking away their sense of security, their sense of normalcy. And certainly the pandemic has done some of that work for us. Mm-hmm. But this has added to that. 
Right. And, and I think people are listening differently because of it. Wow. Thank you for um, putting that um, for us. But now, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and why did you join the law enforcement? Well, thanks for having me here. This is a, a real pleasure and an honor. It started uh, way back. I'm going to assume you weren't born in the, in the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> so it's, it started back then. Mm-hmm. And I lived in the hood. Wow. And, and I'm going to not mention specific places okay. and departments because there may be times where I talk about police departments. I work for three different police departments. Wow. And I don't want to necessarily uh, get people's attention regarding any particular department. Okay. Uh, and there are reasons why. Okay. Uh, legal reasons in some cases. Yes. However, growing up in the hood, uh, you don't have many opportunities to be a part of activities outside of the home that are safe. Mm-hmm. My mom said, hey, I understand there are some police officers mm-hmm. in the community. They, they have some program down the street. She had no idea really much more. She had no more information other than that. I didn't have any more information. So I just, just decided to walk down the street and see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And there I found a police explorer program. It's a Boy Scout program. And there, there were police officers who were not responding to a call for service, uh, but police officers who were there to have this program run successfully for youth in the community. This was in the 1970s, like I said, and it was a time when we had more of those types of programs where we understood as a, as a community, as a country, mm-hmm. that we needed to do that type of work. Um, it was also the first time, I have to be honest with you, that I saw professional black and brown men wow. in the community doing positive things like this. Okay. And I had never thought about police work before that time. I was wow. 14 at the time. And I fell in love. Wow. And I was a police explorer for several years. Okay. Uh, then I ended up uh, interning at the police department for my last year of uh, high school and uh, became a police cadet and spent 20 years with, with that department. Wow, 20 years. Yes. Wow, wow. So to continue with that, that, that that's a long time. So you've basically heard and seen it all. In my opinion, I would think that you've seen different sides to policing. And can you tell us a little bit more about how, you know, the processes for, for, you, to, for you to become a police officer? What was the process like? And, and let me just reel it back a little bit. Okay. Uh, I saw in my community problems. Mm-hmm. Problems that weren't being addressed. Okay. And I saw policing as a way to help solve those problems. It was a helping profession the way I looked at it. Okay. It wasn't about arresting people and, and car chases and all that stuff you see on television. Mm-hmm. Getting into the police department takes about a year. And there's a process of doing an extensive background check, mm-hmm. a polygraph, mm-hmm. uh, talking to all your neighbors, former and present girlfriends and boyfriends and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, an interview board or two. Mm-hmm. And I got in as a police cadet at 18. 
and it, that was good for me because there were fewer people applying. Oh. So the odds of me with being uh, in the police explorer program and actually spending literally hundreds of hours in police cars going to calls for service, I thought I had a leg up on some of these other candidates. Right, right. And so I knew, and, and plus uh, spending the last year of my high school uh, experience at the police department working inside the police department. So I actually got references from actual, you know, sergeants and wow. other civilians that worked in the police department. Wow. So the process for me was not that difficult to get in. Okay. But it was once I got in that things were quite challenging. Wow. And that's, and, and I would definitely want to address some of the challenges. I would definitely want you to address some of those challenges. But um, before, do you, can you tell us a little bit about the training process for, um, a, you know, just about any police officers? How does that, how does that look? Well, like? it varies by department. So there are literally tens of thousands of different police departments, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Law enforcement agencies okay. in the United States. Wow. So if you are a federal officer, your training is totally different than if you're a municipal officer mm -hmm. or someone who's hired by the city or town to police. Mm -hmm. So some uh, people will go to a police academy for just weeks and some others will go to a police academy for months. Wow. So there's, it's not a set process. No. Wow. And you will hear often people talk about, well, this is a training issue in terms of the use of force and so on. Right. Yeah, some of it may be, but as hopefully we'll get into, right. some of it really is about something else. Okay. All right. And so thank you for telling me that because I, I really thought there was like a specific number for just, you know, about all police departments. But now that you're saying it, it's enlightened us that there's different process, you know, not every police department has the same um, training process, which is very interesting. Um, now you're no longer a police officer and no. now I would like to dive in into why did you make that initiative to not, no longer partake in that? So after 20 years with that department, mm -hmm. um, it saddens me to say yeah. that I actually had dislike, even hatred for law enforcement. Wow. And I was really happy to get out after 20 years and vowed I would never do it again. And that wow. was in a department that was not in Texas. Yeah. I moved to the state of Texas after that. Wow. And I thought I was done with law enforcement. Right. Until I got uh, a change in, uh, uh, well, I got divorced. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I had to look at going back to my day job, which I did for, for five years here in Texas. Wow. And so to dive right into it, do you believe that it has something with corruption? Do you feel like it is because the system is so corrupted? And can you tell us why, if that's the thought behind How it? How much time do you have? Well, we, <laughs> we can make this a part two because we need our audience to kind of hear the real and raw thing. And that is why you're here. And I believe you're going to deliver that. So yeah, take as much as you need. And we'll, if we have to kind of go back into Part two, then we'll do just that. <laughs> okay. Well, yes, there is corruption. And I, I've listened to a lot of stories over the last week, week and a half mm -hmm. from different people in regards to uh, police shootings. Mm -hmm. And I, I hear people often say, well, the, the black and brown officers, why don't they do something about mm -hmm. this? Why don't they say something? Mm -hmm. 
why don't they try to stop it when it happens? Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's actually worse than people are seeing on television. Wow. The problems are worse. Wow. And the reason why I can't even talk about some things is still, after all these years, I have to be concerned about my own safety. And so, you know, police officers, uh, like any other group, Mm -hmm. can violate the law and break the law. Right. And there are uh, situations that I am aware of. Um, Some of them have been uh, brought out. Okay. Uh, Some of them have not. Okay. Uh, So I work with people. Do you mind elaborating into what? I'll talk about some of the things that have made the news. Yes. Go ahead. It's fine. So I, I, I'll tell you a a personal situation with a a, a young man who I worked with. And actually spent time recreationally with. I mean, we went to clubs together okay. and been over his house, been over my house. We spent a lot of time together. He was later indicted as a police officer for taking his service weapon, his gun, and putting it in the mouth of prostitutes and forcing them to have sex with him while he was on duty. Wow. And he ended up doing federal time. I think he got five years for that. But that's just one example okay. of corruption. Right. I didn't retire from that police department that I spent 20 years at. Right. Uh, with any type of rank like sergeant or lieutenant. Because when I took a promotional exam, mm-hmm. I learned how corrupt the process was for promoting officers. So I took this written exam and then it was an oral exam Mm -hmm. and I don't want to go into too much detail because it would take up more time than perhaps we would want to use for this. Uh, But it was clear that the system was rigged. It was corrupt Wow! to the point where they even had to have someone come in and independently give the exam under certain conditions because there had been past corruption. And so there are things that happen that never make the news, right? Mm -hmm. So let me back up a little bit. When I was hired Mm -hmm. at this particular department, which I can say was in the Northeast part of the country. Okay. And I I wanted to mention that because we often think about Northern states or Northeastern states as being different than Southern states when it comes to race relations. Wow. Yep. And I'm here to say that they are not. Very important to say. Yeah. So this particular department I got hired at, they were under what they call a consent decree. Consent decree. Mm -hmm. From the federal government because of hiring practices. So they deliberately did not hire women and black and brown police officers. Not because they weren't qualified, Hmm. but they just didn't want them. And so these practices were found out and the feds got involved and at a consent decree was an agreement that said the city will hire more black and brown people, period, or else Mm -hmm. there were other things that were going to kick in if they did not do that. Right. So here I come into this department, Mm -hmm. several years after that consent decree, 
you can imagine the welcome I got, right? Or people right. who look like me. Right. So it was not quite a red carpet kind of experience at all. Wow. That is that I, I, I'm, I'm lost of words right now, but um, that explains some of the challenges in to recruiting minorities within, you know, as a police officer. Now, give us a little bit more detail on how do you kind of like maneuver those challenges when you're inside? Like, how do you kind of fight against the system? Are you able to or are there repercussions to fighting against that kind of corruption within? It's a price to pay. Okay. <laughs> and that's, and, and <laughs> that's where we're getting to. So, And have people tried to fight well, against that? Or police officers? I tried when I was, so I was a police cadet and I became a full police officer. Mm-hmm. As a police cadet, I realized that there were problems. Okay. And I spoke up about those problems and they kind of knew I was one of those kinds of folks. Troublemaker. Wow. Right? That's what they call them. Yes. <laughs> and so they, when the list came out for the next academy that I was eligible for, mm-hmm. my name wasn't on the list for some reason. It wasn't because of job performance. Right. So I had to go and inquire and, let, and say to management, hey, what's the deal? There was no explanation. Okay. They eventually put my name on the list for that next uh, police academy. When I became a a police officer, Mm. it was apparent to me that I did not quite fit in like white officers. I didn't have the same privileges. I didn't have the same rights, same advantages. There were Hispanic and black organizations that had already been formed. Okay. Or for separately for black officers and separately for Hispanic officers. But being that I am actually Puerto Rican and black, wow. I said, you know what? This is really something where we need to have both groups of people working together. Right. So I actually formed a black and Hispanic police officers association as a young officer okay. to start to address some of the uh, problems that we uh, officers of color had working at the police department. Right. Wow. That's, wow. That's pretty interesting. But thank you for actually telling us that. Cause I've, I didn't even know that you actually got so involved, but um, so after 20 years of doing that experience and now we can see how the media is finally, well, we've been protesting quietly and some can say too like you said earlier, too silently. And we even see now police officers actually protesting. And how do you feel about that movement? Because now some people are saying, oh, it's fake. It's, you know, it's not real. It's something behind it. It's, you know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of people saying different things about that. Like, what are your point of view? You know, I almost want to ask you what your opinion is on that. But you <laughs> asked me the question and you're supposed to be asking the question, so I'll answer it, okay? <laughs> no problem. So... I believe that what we're seeing is the beginning of a movement, an, a new civil rights movement. Uh, as a, a phrase that was coined maybe a year or so ago, I think more people are woke now. Yeah. So when we talk about what solutions look like, it will not be because a police officer takes a knee. Hmm. That is not a solution. 
Okay. That to me is more about trying to quell or trying to deescalate a situation. Wow. But I can tell you because I know policing. Hmm. I know the culture of policing. Mm -hmm. I know the history of policing. Mm -hmm. And I know it's going to take much more than taking a knee or with the Dallas police chief. And I think she was genuine Mm -hmm. when she wept on on TV during, um, I think, one of the protests. Mm Recently, the last day or two, I think mm-hmm. it was genuine, but that's not going to be enough. Right, right. And she's a black woman, mm-hmm. by the way. That's not going to be enough. Okay. And we can talk about what may be enough, <laughs> what we need to do maybe a little later. Yeah. And, and I actually was going to dive in right into that. And I was going to ask you, do you feel like the racial makeup of the community's um, police department should be similar to the racial makeup that it serves, the community that it serves? and or is do you feel like that's necessary? So I'm going to answer that question. Mm-hmm. But what comes to mind first is, have we identified the problem? Okay. So we know someone died. Mm-hmm. We know there's police brutality. Right. We know there's harassment by the police uh, against black and brown people more than other groups. Right. But what's the problem? So I always like to kind of go back when... Um, you know, there's a political side to me, and I'll, I'll talk about that yeah. in, in a while. But after the 2016 election of our current president or resident <laughs> uh, of the White House, I had to take a deep dive into what the hell is going on. Mm. And I tell you, as old as I am, and if I was around in the 70s, that means I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Does so, it look up here in his face because we know black don't crack. There you go. I hope mine does what it's <laughs> no. supposed to do then. Yeah. You know, it, I learned a lot in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And it was troubling. And I read a lot. And I listened to people who are a lot smarter than I am, who know a lot more about this stuff than I do. And, you know, I came to the conclusion well, let me, let me say this. We, we had uh, the so-called Tea Party. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. That was when Obama was elected president. Right. And people actually went to the White House with long guns and so on, which I had you know, no idea that the Tea Party needed guns to talk about the things that they wanted to talk about, right. being the Tea Party, which was you know, taxation and all these other things. It's kind of based on the old Boston uh, Tea Party from... Mm-hmm. Centuries ago, literally. But anyway, after uh, Obama left office, there's really consensus that that Tea Party was formed as kind of like a blacklash to Obama getting elected, where certain people in this country said, what the hell? And, And they responded to seeing this person look like Obama in the White House. That meant something to them differently than it meant to you and me. And then, in my opinion, and I think there's consensus on this, the election of Trump really is a backlash as well to Obama being elected. Wow. It's a reaction. And there's always been a push and pull Mm -hmm. in this country when it comes to race. Right. And so, 
I forgot your question now because I went off on this rant. <laughs> um, no, it's okay. It's okay. Be yourself. And I was saying that, do you feel like that should, um, our police officers should kind of um, mirror the community that they serve in a way? Like if, you know, they're serving a black community, there should be a lot more black police officers sent out. And do you feel like maybe there's some type of, um, not racism against them going there or just the recruiting of black police officers going out to serve their own communities. So, so is your question really, can white officers black, police black communities? Is that your real question? <laughs> <laughs> so, good way to put it. I'm so let a good me, way to put it. Yes, black police officers serving the black community or, I mean, we're not to say that will change anything, but yeah. do you feel like that's necessary? Because if you look at racism, I, I, I want you to talk a little bit more on why policing started to kind of give us why that, you know, possibly would be something that would be considered when it comes to serving the black community. So, so let me say this about policing. Mm -hmm. When I started and I, I did my municipal policing during a crack epidemic, right? So eighties, nineties, early two thousands. So just to give you a time frame uh, in, in which to uh, put this into context, right? I was not looking like me, someone who looks like me, was not allowed to work in predominantly white communities for a permanent assignment. Okay. So in other words, those communities did not want someone like, who looks like me telling them what to do. Hmm. And the police department responded to that by not putting too many officers that look like me, for, with, to give them permanent assignments right. in predominantly white communities. However, in predominantly black and brown communities, mm -hmm. it was fine to have as many white officers as you, as you wanted to right. have. Right. So I think there's a history here that we have to be aware of, of policing itself, mm -hmm. to answer that question. So policing, the way we see it today, the way we understand policing today, organized the way it is, started around the mid-1800s, New York City, Philadelphia, um, and Boston. Massachusetts. It was at the time when those cities were looking different because of immigrant groups mm -hmm. who needed to be kind of kept in line differently than the way we had policed communities before mm -hmm. with constables, which replaced a watch system back way back when. So it needed to be more organized to respond to the many immigrant groups coming into those cities. Mm -hmm. So that's the mid-1800s. We know what happened in 1861, mm -hmm. which was the start of the Civil War, right. which ended in 1865. So I'm not going to be too much of a geek on this, but just to okay. kind of, again, you got to understand mm -hmm. the context in which things are happening. Right. So when that Civil War ended in 1865, we found that many officers came from places that thought we needed to continue to have a certain social order in this country. Hmm. So it is well documented, for instance, that a number of people who belong to the Klan wow. were also police officers. Um, and I can tell you this, I've worked with people who I thought were still in the Klan and at times that I policed in my 25 years. Wow. Because of the way that they think, the way that they view people, people who look right. like me. And... So the question is, 
should we have more diversity? We yes. can have more diversity, mm. but that won't fix the problem still. The problem. Because policing itself, the way we police is the problem. So the entire structure of policing is the problem. Okay. And so we talk about a few bad apples, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. You hear that all the time. Oh, oh if it wasn't for those few, few bad, bad apples, apples, this would all be better. Yeah. No. <laughs> if it was that easy, we would have done this a long time ago. Wow. It is the culture of policing. Hmm. So I'll give you an example. And this is one of the reasons why I won't mention the department that I worked for. Did my municipal policing. When we chase someone, hmm. whether they resisted or not, mm -hmm. they were going to be taught a lesson. Wow. We used to call it, you know, they got split, which means that you actually use your baton to slice a piece of their skin and split their skin, right? So if you ran from the police, and this is, people know this already, but I'm saying it out loud. Yeah, yeah. When you ran from the police, yeah. or when you were in a car and we caught you, mm -hmm. you were going to get a beatdown, whether you Definitely. resisted arrest or not. And so, and it was kind of like a pylon effect. Whoever showed up for that chase mm -hmm. got to get some licks in too. Yep. So there's evidence of this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, during Rodney King, where we, we had it on, on tape. Right. Right. A lot of right? them on tape now. And, and if you remember that, and, and for those of you who may be listening, if you don't remember, you can go and get the video of this and just see how the officers responding to catching up to that person that they had chased. So this is in California, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm on the other coast. Yeah. So that tells you something about policing. It doesn't tell you something about specific departments. But it tells you about policing. policing. Wow. You were going to get tuned up. It was going to happen. This is so sad. Don't take it from me. Turn on the news tonight mm. and watch the video of the officers when they're dealing with protesters who are not resisting and in some cases walking away from them. Right. And they're using their baton or pepper spray. Right. Or pushing them down in the case of a 75-year-old man and, and find that this is perfectly... Uh, okay behavior and 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 to kind of make this a little bit more understandable it's this is more they're immune to this because this is something that's been happening for so long that now it's just second nature you know this is how they deal with it and like you said this is just policing it's, it's the policing so, that we're done. getting yes and you're taught this yeah right oh you are taught this you're taught this <laughs> so you you when you are a, a new officer, mm -hmm. you go out and you do what veteran officers do. Right. What is the culture of the department? Mm -hmm. So you're not going to be standing there with your hands in your pocket mm -hmm. while other police officers are engaged in mm -hmm. trying to subdue someone yeah. using force and you're standing in the background. Right. Because then you look like the soft one, right? Well, you look like maybe you're not part of the team. Wow. And so I'll give you a, an example of how that can impact you. I... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I don't give out too much information here. No, but let's I, see, give, I, I give went to the information. We need it. <laughs> the academy with an uh, an assistant chief's son. Uh huh. I went to a call with him mm -hmm. once we graduated the academy, where for something really really simple, he used force 
that I thought was excessive. Okay. To the point where the person that he used this force against, and this was a white person he used the force against. Okay. They actually wanted to seek medical attention after. So when I heard that, I contacted my supervisor. Hey, Sarge, you may want to know that this guy who was going to the hospital, you know, that was a little excessive, the thing that happened to him. Right. So I wrote a report, an honest report okay. about what happened because I was there. I was his backup. Right. He ended up getting 90 days suspension without pay. He should have been terminated for what he had done. Right. And he went around after that and told people I was a rat. And if you're a rat in policing, that means you can't be trusted. Yep. And you do a lot of things in policing where you need everyone to be on, a, on the same page. Mm -hmm. and if you're considered a rat, obviously that's not good. Because if you need a backup <laughs> or you have to call 911 no when you're working, your back. that's your backup. Yeah. And that person can take their time mm -hmm. or not get there at all. <laughs> and has that happened in policing? Of course it has. Uh, so it... So in other words, you're in a position where if you stand up for what is right and you're doing the right thing, you're not in a position to do your job effectively because your team will not support it. And to them, you're basically against what they're doing. That's right. This is so sad. So sad. And <laughs> I'm in awe right now of the honesty and thank you for that. But um, we have to move forward. We have to kind of create um, some type of support system and, and, and help our community be better and uh, try to pass, you know, all that is going on. And we, we're going to try our best to do it the way that we feel like will help us. And I know you mentioned that you are in politics and do you feel like that more black people should be you know, part of politics or should join politics because of that? Or do you feel like that will some, somewhat help us? Well, I kind of evolved into getting into to, to politics mm -hmm. uh, at the level that I'm involved now. Okay. So when I policed the city, you know, during and afterwards, I felt like I was almost like a prison guard where my job was really to keep these folks contained, right? Don't let them hurt good people. Mm -hmm. and, and when we look at communities, the way they're set up, right? Mm -hmm. If you go into communities where you don't belong, mm -hmm. you're more likely to get stopped by police who will ask you, what are you doing here? Right? right. That's part of that containment. You stay in your box and your place. There, you know, we, yes, we're still concerned about who gets hurt, but it won't be the good people that get hurt, right? It'll be the people who are probably doing something wrong anyway in the wrong place. or just, mm -hmm. There's something about them that probably led to them being the victim of a crime, right? Mm -hmm. Blaming the victim. Right. So I also saw that when you have policy... When it doesn't work, police officers end up dealing with that failed policy. So economically, 
education, employment. Mm. And I said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I say people's lives, I'm sure. I'm sure I help people. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't enough because the problem was too big right. for me to touch people individually. That was just not going to get it done. So oh. I, needed to, I needed a way to impact people's lives, many more people's lives mm. differently right. and more long-term. Right. And I understood that politics is where people go right. Right, to work on problems and issues and mm-hmm. to come up with policy mm-hmm. that impact everyone. And when you talk about politics, people tend to roll their eyes like, oh, well, I don't, I'm not involved in politics. <laughs> I used to be one of those, but I'm just- <laughs> uh, Yes, I vote, you know. <laughs> I try to vote. Right, right. And so on. Like it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a hobby or this yeah. kind of thing you do. Yeah. But we're all involved in politics, even if we don't vote. Wow. Right? When, that's a sad so truth. Yeah. When we don't vote, Our that's, truth. A, that's a, a way of sending... Uh, really a, a message, but also it gives your vote to someone else, mm-hmm. right? Who will vote into in, in people into office who mm-hmm. will uh, think about policy maybe differently than you would. Yeah. And, and it may not be in your best interest. So if it's okay mm-hmm. with your neighbor down the street that mm-hmm. you don't know, mm-hmm. or somebody in another community mm-hmm. voting people into office to determine the type of education mm-hmm. that your kids get, or the type of police officer that polices your community, if it's okay that somebody else makes that decision for you, mm. then that voting, I guess, works for you. Definitely. But if you are at all concerned about whether or not you have people in place mm-hmm. who represent you and your interests and your needs, then you really want to be more involved in politics, more involved than even just voting. So I am a precinct chair in Dallas County. Okay. So I have a geographic area that I'm responsible for organizing. But my goal really is to organize South Dallas mm. County. Okay. And what I mean by that is that we are not as organized as a group as we need to be. And so we need to get more people registered to vote. Okay. We need to have more people involved, not only in the political process. Right but involved in other groups like Black Lives Matter, like whatever group you want to be involved in, right? Right. Because it's not just political people that are responsible for solving problems. As a matter of fact, I would say, make sure that whoever you elect into office, you know a little bit about what they're doing. (laughs) Not just say, okay, I elected them into office, now I can go back to Netflix. Right, exactly. (laughs) And do do you feel like, there is a specific reason why specifically in our community, you don't find people who wants to involve themselves into politics. Do you think there's a specific reason for that where oh, I don't need a vote? My vote don't count. And I mean, I think personally it's a lack of education, but do you want to add to that or do you feel like it's something deeper? I, I think, um, unfortunately, historically, hmm. if you just turn on the news this evening, uh, you will see, that things have not worked very well for communities uh, of color. And so it's hard to say to someone, go and vote mm-hmm. when you don't see the impact of that vote. You don't mm-hmm. see how it helps you. And I have people tell me this. Yeah. I don't see the change in my community. I don't see the change when people get elected who look like me. Yeah. And I get that. 
But there are things that that happen. There are things that change that you may not be aware of. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is this. Well, let me let me uh, back up a little bit. I was in a meeting in February uh, with a city councilwoman and a House of a Texas uh, House of Representative mem- member. Okay, and this city council member, and I won't say the city that she represented, but it was here in Texas, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, "Well, what we need to do when it comes to active shooters at schools." is to put metal detectors in all the schools. That's all we have to do. And that will solve the problem of active shooters in our schools. Mm -hmm. And with my background, I had to give a little feedback and pushback. Right. And say, no, uh, there's much more to it. So sometimes we elect people who, I mean, you could be elected to office, right? You don't know everything about healthcare, about policing, about everything that you're going to vote on, right? So it's going to take other people to help educate you as the elected official mm-hmm. and make sure that you are doing the right thing based on the real needs of that community. That's right. Definitely. Um, wow. We are covering so much and just so little, but um, I definitely think that we should come back and sit down and talk about how this impacted us mentally and how we can, you know, move forward. But before we end, and I want to thank you for being as transparent as you can and telling us the truth about policing. Um, I want to give us a challenge of the week with our viewers. We tend to do the challenge of the week, which is telling someone to actively go out there and do something that will help their situation. Or in, in this case, our situation when it comes to racism in, in America and how as black people we can move forward and what is the proper way to do it. And I know that everybody copes differently and mm-hmm. everybody, um, you know, um, see life in a different, you know, light. So, what is the best way what you would advise for us to kind of move forward? Now it's time for your challenge of the week. I'm amazed that more people of color don't know as much about racism. They don't understand it when they see it. Mm. So when they look at an education system, they don't understand the racism part of that. Mm -hmm. When they look at communities, they don't see the racism. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I think people need to do is not take my word for it, but Mm -hmm. to go out today and start to do the deep dive I did more of after this president got elected in 2016. So there's a lot of information out there. Mm -hmm. I like to start from the beginning. Okay. <laughs> and so the beginning for us was uh, in 1619. Uh, when I mean us, I mean uh, people of African descent. Right. In this country. So 400 years ago, last August, was when 20 or so Africans were brought to this continent to start slavery in this country. And it's a great piece uh, I would like to share. Yes. That I came saw out in the New York books. Times. If you like, you can hold it. Yes, I'll do it. I'll hold it. I'll do the honor. And this was done by uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones. It was the first time that I'm aware of in this country's history that we started to tell the story of what happened in the very beginning, August 1619. You can get a copy of this by going online and ordering it. I understand there may be a PDF you can read online. I recommend that everyone, 
everyone listening to this gets a copy of this or reads this because this is about how things started. It's the foundation of what we're dealing with today. We have to understand the foundation. Uh, so I, I would strongly recommend that people do that. The, the second thing, and we're going to skip 250 years. So I'm going to give people a chance to not discover everything, but mm-hmm. discover the beginning and then what happened in 1865 when slavery ended. So there's a great piece on PBS okay. uh, that was done by Henry Lewis Gates Jr. Okay. I can also show that. Uh, I don't see. have that. I have this, which is a different. Okay. Um, and he is, uh, if you recall, there was a beer summit when Obama was president mm-hmm. because a white police officer arrested this Harvard professor on his porch uh, for basically being disrespectful to a white officer if you look like Henry Louis Gates Jr. does. Wow. So Obama invited them both for a so-called beer summit to the White House mm-hmm. to sit down and discuss what had happened. But he did uh, about a four-hour documentary on the Reconstruction period, which is about 12 years. And it's about what happened when 4 million formerly enslaved people were freed. What happened to them? And again, it's not about what happened to them back in 1865. It's more about what we're still dealing with today. So if you go online, I think you can watch that for free. PBS has that. And again, it's simply uh, titled um, Reconstruction. Okay. The last thing I want to leave people with is a, an author that I really like. Uh, he talks about in a 2014, June 2014 article of the Atlantic mm-hmm. magazine about reparations. Okay. And so I would just say uh, that people should go and uh, kind of uh, Heisey Coates is his name. Mm-hmm. I've read a couple of his books. Mm-hmm. However, if you can start with uh, getting... The Case for Reparations in the Atlantic and that uh, June 2014 issue. Mm-hmm. And, and if I'm able to come back on again, I'll tell you about You're a couple of books that I like. On. You'll definitely come back on. <laughs> because I, I kind of feel like we're just scratching the surface, actually. Yes, There's yes. a lot more that we can talk about. Definitely. But if you know, this will give people an opportunity to start. Okay. Uh, to start your own discovery yes. for yourself and understanding the true history of this country. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much, Antonio. You don't understand how much this means to me for you to come here and kind of dissect a little bit of what policing is and what we're dealing with right now. Um, guys, just if you're continued to watch with us and, and listening with us every other week, we thank you for that. And go ahead and subscribe. Make sure you like and share this video when you're done listening. Make sure you share it with a friend so that they can also be educated. And we also want to thank Antonio Champion again for being with us. Um, we'll put a, your information for where to f- people to find you if you would like that. <laughs> or you can tell Why them not? where you can tell them <laughs> where they can find you. Well we'll put it out there. Okay, we'll put it out there. Thank you so much. You are listening to the point of view podcast. Till next time.
Thanks for listening to The Point of View on Primart Network. For more high-quality educational and fun podcasts, please visit us at primartnetwork.com.